0: Hello and welcome to the Photo Brigade podcast. I'm Robert Kaplan, a photographer based here in New York City and editor of thephotobrigade.com, a resource for the freelance photography community to share their work with a larger audience of peers and photo lovers. We have all sorts of great photos, gear reviews, guest posts on photo industry related topics by professionals worldwide. Check us out online at thephotobrigade.com and on Facebook and Twitter at Photobrigade. This episode is brought to you by Think Tank Photo, a group of designers and professional photographers focused on studying how photographers work and developing inventive new carrying solutions to meet their needs. Check out all their great gear at thinktankphoto.com. In this episode, I chat with my pal and former professor, Terry Eiler, who is stepping down this week after over 35 years as director of Ohio University's School of Visual Communication. We discuss how he got his start in photography by shooting for local newspapers out of high school attending college for photography, his internship at National Geographic that led to his many years working on projects around the world with his wife, Lintha. We also discussed the business of photography and how he and his father-in-law, the legendary news photographer Chuck Scott, founded Vizcom in the late 70s and grew it to be one of the top visual communication schools in the country, offering sequences in information design, interactive multimedia, commercial photography, and photography and documentary photojournalism for both undergrads and graduate students. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Photo Brigade podcast. Welcome to the Photo Brigade podcast. I'm Robert Kaplan. I'm a photographer based in New York City and also editor of thephotobrigade.com. Today I am in Terry Eiler's office at the School of Visual Communication at Ohio University. How are you doing, Terry?
1: I'm fine, Robert.
0: How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. This this is bringing back memories to me because I was a student here. I'm in 2005, so walking up to your office, up the stairs, through the hallways, just uh, fond memories of going to class and visiting I'm, you.
1: I'm glad to hear it was fond memories. Yeah, well, you know, that's, you know that's what we always want to hear. There was a, there was a mix, but
0: most of it was <laughs> fond. It was fond, <laughs> you know. But um, so yeah, we're we're in your office now, and you know it. What, what's interesting is I've heard now that you are stepping down. Is it this week as director of the School of Visual Communication? Next
1: week as the director. The 15th, uh, I've asked to be uh, no longer the director. I'd always told myself I didn't want to retire as the director of the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm stepping down, and two weeks later I will officially take retirement and then rotate into the role that they call early retirement. Ah, okay. Which is, um, I get to uh, become a professor emeritus and then teach uh, classes uh, one term a year uh, and don't have to attend meetings. Or do paperwork that I'm not required to do.
0: Well, that's—I mean—that's the the good part about the retirement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the if, I, if I
1: never write another report, I'll be a happy camper. Uh-huh.
0: Well, that's good. Do you know what kind of what classes you're planning on teaching after your retirement? Well,
1: I'm certain that I'm going to continue the magazine class. And the magazine, for listeners that aren't uh, OU for, former OU students, is well—that's a class where you uh, wear an awful lot of hats. You start out as a publisher. You become the editor of a magazine, then you rotate into the assignment editor, then the you actually go out into the field, shoot, gather your material, write, come back, assemble, design it, assemble it all, and produce a prototype magazine in a 15-week run.
0: And I hear, I never took the class, actually, mm-hmm. but I hear it's its a hard one. It's a real tough one.
1: I, I think it's a real challenge. It's a... It, 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 it supports the fact that we like the idea of a horizontal education. By the time you take that class, you've had your writing skills, your design skills, your photography skills, your journalistic thinking skills have all been sharpened, as have your production mm-hmm. skills. And so you you plan a magazine, whether it's print or tablet or whatever, and then you actually go out and build the prototype for it.
0: That's very cool. So um, I want to talk to you about sort of your career and how, and I know it's a, it's been a long career now, obviously, and um, uh, when I went to school and, and talked to you, I actually am, I'm a townie, an Athens, Ohio townie, like right. to, like yourself, I guess, but uh, I grew up here in Athens, which is where Ohio University is, and I grew up with your daughter, Christina, went through high school with, with her, and when I started picking up a camera in high school, you know, I, I always sort of knew that, Viscom is where I wanted to go because it was, you know, one of the top couple uh, photojournalism schools in the country. Uh, Fortunately, the top, yeah. <laughs> Sorry other guys. No, uh, well, <laughs> no, that, they're good. I love it.
1: Look, there there's some really great schools out there and uh, I think we're really fortunate to be one of the great schools. Definitely, the definitely.
0: Um, but before, you know, I, we're going to talk about how you kind of became uh, the director and started, you actually started this uh, School of Visual Communication with uh, your father in law, Chuck Scott, right. the infamous. Chuck
1: Scott and I were the co founders of what was the Institute of Visual Communication. Very good. And then it became a school.
0: Yeah. But before that, and, and I remember in class thinking, oh, man, someday I want to have, you know, the sort of career that, because you and your li- wife, Lintha, were both National Geographic photographers. Right. And I don't know, you, did you edit some for,
1: for National Geographic, too? I did, briefly, very briefly.
0: briefly. But you guys got to go on projects together, out in the field, shooting, month, you know, many months-long projects. And uh-huh. I believe there was one I remember in the Grand Canyon, if I don't right. remember correctly. I'm sure many more. Um, but I was wondering if maybe you could tell me sort of, you know, how you got into... Because a lot of the listeners are, are uh, you know, students or people that are wanting to get into photography. And they wonder, you know, how do you become a professional photographer and, you know, how it leads from one place to another. So I was wondering if well, you can maybe...
1: Some of this you'll find remarkably familiar. Yeah. I started doing um, newspaper photography when I was in high school mm-hmm. because there was a high school of. Uh, Program and it encouraged me to use use a camera, and my father encouraged me to use a camera. Uh, the first assignments that I took for my local newspaper, uh, I was too young to drive, so my mother drove me. Oh, that's and great. This doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> it's got to be pretty close. Yeah. And like you, I chased sports in high school, and um, uh, portraiture, and and marketed my pictures to the local. Students who were playing the game and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So I got started early, came up to Ohio University uh, because they had a good program. Uh, an uncle told me about it, and um, at that time it was an art program. It, well, it was in the art. De- it was in a standalone department in the College of Fine Arts. Uh, it was called the school, a uh, department rather of. Uh, Photography and Film mm-hmm. was run by Clarence White, Jr., uh, Betty Truxel and uh, Walter Allen were the three instructors. And they kind of taught commercial photography, fine art photography, and uh, documentary photojournalism. Betty Truxel was the documentary photojournalism instructor. Is yeah, she who you studied under then? She's the person I took the bulk of the classes with. Took a lot with Walter Allen as well and, and Clarence White. Um, in my senior year, uh, Betty Truxell called Jim Holland and I into the, her office and said, there's an internship that you need to apply for. And uh, so I applied for an internship, uh, as did Jim, at National Geographic. And we uh, drove over uh, and interviewed with the director of photography, named Bob Gilka. Mm-hmm. And of all things, Bob Gilka interviewed Jim and I in the same room at the same time. No pressure <laughs> wow. there. Yeah, you know. And he's looking at Jim's pictures. He's looking at my pictures. And he said he'd call back. And we figured we'd never hear from him again. A few weeks later, he called and got us both on the phone and said, "Well." Jim, I think you'd make the better photographer, so you're going to be the photography intern. Terry, I think you ought to go into editing. Hmm. And so I got the editing internship down in special pubs with uh, Don Crump and uh, Bob Breeden, uh, who were the heads of the special publication division at Geographic. So from that internship... um, grew into a contract to edit uh, with them and then eventually into assignment photography work. Mm-hmm. A few years later, my uh, fiance uh, Lintha Scott, mm-hmm. uh, got, was one of the first two women interns at National Geographic. Uh, she and Marty Cooper were interns at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, so she did her internship. I was working on projects in the Southwest as a photographer by that time for Geographic. We came back, got married, finished up graduate school, um, and took uh, an assignment and a job in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Uh, and
0: and it, was, it was documenting the indigenous people?
1: The Havasupai Indians who lived in the bottom of the canyon. Before we went in, Lynn and I did uh, a two-month assignment on a book called uh, Native Americans for the Geographic, and that was out in the southwest. And then we went to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, lived there for a year, uh, ran their preschool program with, oh, wow. a, with a grant from the Polaroid Corporation. Each of the preschoolers had their own cameras oh, wow. and uh, made pictures, and we used that as an English... Language teaching device, and then that appeared as part of a story in the National Geographic in March of 1970 with the kids' photographs.
0: And it's still available at your dentist office yeah little, it's still <laughs> in my
1: dentist <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately it's probably still in everybody's dentist office I don't know that people keep 1970s pictures that's always the most frightening thing about doing a story for geographic it appears uh, in your doctor's office and all that embarrassment but uh, well so
0: that so that shows so since the 70s you've been in the realm of education not only photography but your education right back then, these, these young kids? Lintha
1: would tell you she always knew I was going to be a teacher. Really? Um, I didn't know that, but uh, it was 1975. Uh, some family situations brought us back into Ohio. At that point in time, Chuck was working for the Chicago. Lintha's dad, Chuck Scott, was working at the Chicago Tribune, mm-hmm. and uh, we had an assignment to do work Uh, on the Revolutionary War Beyond the Appalachians, coming up on uh, 1976, the Bicentennial. And so we had plenty of work to do. And we were using Chuck's home here in Athens to uh, work out of. Mm -hmm. And we came back, I think it was in April or May, and we're working out of here. Anyway... um, come August of, of 75, Dean Henry Lynn, which Maya Lynn's dad, mm-hmm. called and said we need somebody to teach photography for us. And I said oh, I can't. Uh, he said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll make it work for you. W- one year contract, come teach for us for a year. So we moved some assignment work around and uh, taught for a year and continued to do the assignment work um, and kind of the rest is history. I've been teaching. Been here ever since. I've either been teaching here, taking time off to do assignment work, uh, doing summer assignments.
0: Well, you you also, I don't know if it's, you still are doing it, but I know you've done at least 20 years of of the Scotland Field School now, Program. Well, that's
1: another whole story. But uh, before we got to the Scotland Program, we were much busier doing um, magazine assignment work. Oh, and so... Okay. Uh, one year I took uh, ten weeks off, and Sam Abel took my place here at the university. Oh wow! And another year, Annie Griffiths came in and uh, taught for us. And so we've had several points at which we've taken breaks to do, you know, assignment work in the Arctic or assignment work uh, up on the Lake Erie Islands or. Whatever. Well,
0: so at that point you were you were just teaching a, a, a class. At that point,
1: yeah, teaching and, classes. And at what
0: point did it turn go from just teaching, and and <laughs> and then when you and Chuck founded the school?
1: Uh, that would have been seventy eight. Chuck had come back to campus to teach. It was his second uh, teaching stunt here at Ohio University. And uh, Chuck and I are both very competitive people. <laughs> we both wanted the same good. Students. Mm-hmm. And we kept watching students run back and forth between our classes. You know, the, the Dan Drys, the Gale Fishers uh, would go back and forth. And so we went to the two deans. He had a dean from the School of Journalism in the College of Communication. I had a dean in Fine Arts from the College of Fine Arts. We got them both in the same room and made the pitch that if they'd put the two schools together, the two programs together, and form an institute that then we could make a world-class program. So they bought the idea and we started this Institute of Visual Communication, and first as an experiment, and then first uh, for real in 1979, 78, 79, I think it was. And it it was, it was incredibly successful, very, very quickly. And by 1986, they made the decision to turn it into a school between two colleges. So we were the first school to be held jointly by the College of Fine Arts and the College of Communication. Mm -hmm. And we stayed a joint school until the early 1990s when the university felt it was better for us to be in one college. And we moved it all into the College of Communication. Probably makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Chuck was the director of the program from 1978 on, and I was the associate director.
0: And at that point, was it only photography and photojournalism? Because now we have, or, okay. It
1: was always photography, photojournalism, publication design, and what we called multimedia. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is was had nothing to do with the web back then, of course not <laughs>
0: <laughs> al gore hadn 't invented it yet
1: al gore hadn 't invented it, but we called it multimedia, uh, but we had a commercial photography uh, track, we had a photojournalism track, we had a publication design track and picture we called it picture editing and publication design, and uh, we had a multimedia track interesting,
0: yeah, what was really neat about going through this school was that. I, w- I was in the photojournalism sequence, um, but I also was able to take all sorts of various other uh, sequences uh, excuse me I was able to take various other classes in the in the different sequences, uh, like design. I actually finished up my i finished up my photojournalism courses i believe like in the first three years Mm -hmm. and I ended up taking some commercial photography classes which at the time I thought okay I'll just do it for fun but I really learned a lot in that class and 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 now I do heavy in portraiture so a lot of what I learned in Gary Kirksey's class um, take with me today.
1: Well one of the things that Chuck and I were very um, very convinced of was that your education had to be a combination of creative work in communication work. It had to be that combination of fine arts and communication that we started with. So all the way through the programs we kept saying to people you've got to have a balance, you've got to have a drawing class, you've got to have uh, a grammar class. Forgot about that drawing class. (laughs) Yeah, you have to have that news writing class along with your shooting class and we felt the same way about the education inside VisCom that even if you were required to do five photojournalism classes, you still needed to take at least one commercial class. Mm -hmm. And most students would take more than that, Mm -hmm. or one design class. And if you're a designer, you have to take a photo class. And when your brother was here and got excited about multimedia, he could go that way. Mm -hmm. So all of those were options from the beginning. We just didn't... We just knew that... You couldn't put yourself in a cubbyhole and expect to stay there your entire life.
0: That's true. That's it's very very true. I mean, I, I mean, I look at my career so far and eight years of it so far, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, you know, I, I do a lot of photojournalism work, but if I was just doing photojournalism work, I really don't think I could necessarily live in New York City and you know have the lifestyle I have now. Right. You know, I have to do some of the commercial work. Got to got to really diversify. Um,
1: Well, see, when when Linth and I were in the business, it was always a combination of editorial work and annual reports, Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of advertising. But the idea of doing business work, business reports, doing work for the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg didn't exist. The Wall Street Journal, when we were in the game didn't run they didn't photographs. They did. you know, old we, drawings or something. Yeah, we like. used to laugh that the best job in the world was being a picture editor at the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> with no pictures
0: it. Oh, uh, my, my friend Jack Van Anthrop is, uh, right. is there now. That's funny. I'm going to make fun of him now about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, when they did a story on Rich Clarkson, who's one of the really founding fathers of photojournalism, along with Chuck Scott and Bob Gilka, but when they featured a story on Rich Clarkson, it was a hand-etched picture of Clarkson <laughs> and not a photograph.
0: Rich Clarkson. I actually had dinner at a fancy steakhouse with him one time. He is a character. I like oh, that
1: guy. He's part of that uh, 50s era, but you know, he's still shooting. He's got Clarkson and Associates, but he's part of that 50 era's foundation of the turn of photojournalism when it suddenly moved into really an exciting time for all kinds of publications. It was life in the Milwaukee Journal where Gilka and and uh, Scott worked, uh, Topeka where Clarkson worked, uh, the Louisville Courier Journal. It, w- it was really a, a fantastic era. Um, and we may be in another fantastic era. Yeah,
0: I mean things are always changing. I mean um, you were just talking about obviously the Internet has changed things. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, you know, even from, you know what's funny? Actually this is a funny story. Um, when I was in, going through school here, I, was, I had a class with your wife, Lintha, um, and I was, I believe, the first student to go digital. Mm. And I remember students, you know, people were saying, oh, what are you doing, you know? But I actually, it, it ended up helping me out because I was able to shoot so much more and immediately, you know, see the, re- the results of what I was doing. And on top of that, do some freelance for, you know, various newspapers mm-hmm. in town. Um, But just that transition, you know, now you're fully a digital school now.
1: Oh, we've been a full digital school probably uh, since you were a sophomore or junior. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, You know, with the help of Nikon, we're one of the Nikon locker programs, uh, and uh, the help of Mamiya and Profoto and all the people that have come along to, to really help our program uh, including Canon. I don't want to leave them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really assisted us to go digital and to be an all-digital program. But then back in the early, late 80s, early 90s, Chris Carr and uh, wrote a program here called Photone Pre-Press mm-hmm. that was a color separation program that was used all over Europe. And, uh, of course, Chris now works for the Merlin archiving people as a programmer. Oh,
0: yeah. Merlin, the uh, New York Times, uses that archiving system. Very neat. Well, um, okay, so we've talked about your career, and and now we're coming up on on the end of the directory, being the director of the school. Um, Do you see yourself maybe doing some more shooting now?
1: Oh, I can't... You know, I've never stopped shooting. As you said, we... We've run, uh, for 28 years, we've run a field school in Scotland. It's been Scotland. 28 years, wow. 28 years, is, uh, we've run a field school in Scotland. A friend of ours used to teach uh, a field school for geology. and The guy who ran that kept saying, "Ah, you can talk theory all day, but if you don't take them into the field and let them crack a few rocks, they never know what geology is all about. Isn't that and true? I, I found like the same thing was true. Uh, with photography. If you don't take people into the field and teach them how magazine narratives are put together and how it's not one assignment at a time but a much broader scope of storytelling, uh, they don't learn it. So we started the field school program as a, a tool for storytelling 28 years ago.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, um, what we did in that school was we basically had, it was basically a summer class crammed into five weeks. Right, and an we entire semester. An entire semester worth of uh, work to do. Now you're on semesters. It used to be quarters. Right. It used to be quarters. Um, but we had to do, I think it was 20 singles, right. three picture stories, right. and one documentary.
1: One documentary and three one-day shoots And oh, which yeah. you had to go find something. And So you had the immediacy challenge, the single image challenge, the na- short-form narrative story challenge, three picture stories, and then the overall documentary arch, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so what you ended up with, whether it was a postman story that you did in the post office over in Glasgow, yeah. or the uh, the uh, single photograph of the young lad at the uh, carnival behind the ticket. you uh, <laughs>
0: remember my photos, huh?
1: <laughs> I, I remember most people's yeah. pictures, you know, and, and so you... you That was just all part of the education of doing that. Mm -hmm. Plus it puts you in a a country that's different than your own with a language that's slightly different than your own. It
0: did actually take a few days to get used to their accent, (laughs) i got to say. The Scottish accent is something else. Um, Yeah, no, I completely agree, because that was my first time ever shooting out of the country. It was my first time being on my own, especially, you know, we we got train tickets, basically, that Mm -hmm. took us anywhere in the country. We could just take the trains anywhere. And we would, uh, you know, go on day trips, and we would, you know, over the weekends, we could go work on our projects. And some of us would, we'd all just sort of disperse, and, and I would go up to the highlands. I remember I went to the island, Isle of Iona to take uh-huh. a, to take photos of the, the, the single postman man there. Right. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot, and, and I really discovered my desire to do more travel photography at that point. And it also gave me the confidence to know that I, c- I can do it. You know, right. it's, it's
1: well, you had to do logistic field problem solving. You had to figure out how to get from Edinburgh to Iona, which is a train, a bus, a ferry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Actually, two ferries, if, I, if I'm correct. One out of Oban to Mull and one across from Mull to Iona.
0: That was, that was a fun trip. Actually, you know what's funny is I, I found an old hard drive mm. and, I, and I went through and I found all my Scotland because I had had my digital camera there. That was before you, we were, you were doing it digitally. We were doing using Chrome. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I found some videos and photos. Oh, i got to send you some videos. Oh, i got some funny fun. videos of you. Um, so, anyway, th- that's good. So, let's, uh, let's sort of go off this uh, certain, let's start talking about. Um, I, I want to talk to the, the sort of students and the people that are wanting to get into the field of photography or, or even the students, uh, the, you know, the college students that are studying photography and what the next step is to, you know, have a successful career. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, y- you make students do is have at least one internship
1: under their belt. Internships are important. Very Absolutely. important. I think they should be paid internships. I don't believe in student slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the student has to have a portfolio, and it's got to have uh, diversity. Whether it's a commercial portfolio, a design portfolio, or a photojournalism program, you need to show versatility, and talent, uh, and skill. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have your own special project. That, and here's what I've been doing besides my portfolio. But you want to show your interest in your your uh, journalism and your sense of of talent. Um, and then you want to get to that internship and work hard and learn. I think the first couple of internships, you learn more than you you would realize. Uh. I,
0: I really felt like, you know, doing an internship is just, just... I learned so much. It felt like, you know, you learn all everything, all these things in class. You, you have... I remember, at least during my class, time in class, there was something like 10 assignments we had per quarter. Mm-hmm. And... You know, when you're interning, you get, you get ten assignments. Ten assignments, you know, a couple of days. Every, yeah, every couple of days, and, and you're having to just do whatever the, the paper wants you to do.
1: Yeah, you also end up dealing with newsroom politics and newsroom people, and you see how words and pictures come together. Um, you know, and you can learn just as much, maybe more, in a small to medium-sized newspaper as you can a huge paper. So we like to encourage people to start in uh, smaller papers where they get to do a little bit of everything, have several internships if possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, when you get out in the real world, after you've gotten your degree, and this is a profession, I've got to make a pitch for this, that people are expected to have a college degree, not just a few courses in photography. Sure. Once you're out there working, uh whether it's at a small paper, a medium-sized newspaper, a hospital publication, we're getting a lot of people going into uh, NGO and hospital-type publications or magazines, then you've got to keep expanding your talent and your skills and going to national conferences, going to uh, places where you get to experience people who know more than you do. I think part of the secret here is you want to surround yourself with good people. You want to work with people that are better than you are every day if you can. Mm -hmm. And then you want to try to share your knowledge as you get older in the business with people that are younger than you. Somebody helped me along. Somebody helped you along. You want to help somebody else along. It's certainly simple. But this is a profession of change. This is not a a nine-to-five profession, five days a week, you, you've got to understand that it's going to be a job in which it's not as predictable what you're going to do next Tuesday
0: That's true. as you would like. Or tomorrow, for that matter, <laughs> Right. at least in my case. Um, do you find, you know, I, I know that a lot of uh, folks uh, that graduate this school you know, they aim to get a staff job somewhere. Mm -hmm. I know I ended up taking the route of going freelance. I've never been Mm -hmm. a staffer, except if you consider the the internships staff. Right. But um, have you found that there are more and more people just going straight into freelance?
1: Yeah, we have. And because of that, we've changed our uh, program a little bit. We now have not only a a class that talks about the profession and freelance. I know you've Skyped into that oh, a couple of times. The business of time, photography, yeah. Business, the business of photography class, but we also encourage people now to consider either doing a minor in business or a minor in communication and marketing. Mm. Um, and, and it's a it's a change in the business. Back in ancient history, that's, Noah was building an ark out here on the green. Mm-hmm. When I went to Geographic as an intern, there were thirty staff photographers. Wow. Geographic, <laughs> and there were four or five kind of contract photographers. Today, there are no staff photographers, or maybe one. Um, everybody's on contract, so they're independent business people. They have to understand marketing value, profit loss statements. They have to understand licensing. Oh yeah, licensing. as opposed to simply taking the picture.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There's so many ways to make money. Um, you know, you can't just uh, count on the assignments being your income. You, no. you want to you be able to keep your copyright. You need to learn how to protect your copyright. And like you said, learn how to license the photos, which is essentially your retirement. You know, when we're freelance photographers, we don't have a 401k that we contribute to. Well, uh, you ought to. We we ought to. (laughs) We ought to. But, you know, I always consider my archive my 401k. It's my retirement.
1: You know, I think uh, 15 years ago, you could have considered your archive your retirement money. But in today's market, stock stock imaging is, is less expensive now than it was 20 years ago. And so, uh, my recommendation is you nope, know, start saving. Start now. saving, yeah. Start absolutely. saving for your retirement now and treat that uh, stock business and your uh, gallery business as a cherry on top of the cake ah, rather than the whole cake. That's very good
0: advice. That's very good advice. All right. Well, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we should look Well you about.
1: One thing you asked was, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back to taking pictures? As I said, I've never stopped taking pictures. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully, if I add up all the things that are on Lintha's honey-do list, mm-hmm. take care of a few of those, get a little more fly fishing time than I've been <laughs> getting recently, and then go take pictures. I'm sure we'll travel take on a couple of assignments, uh, got a couple of projects that we want to work on on our own. One of them is we want to go back to the Havasupai, oh, where wow. we lived uh, for a year. Most of those kids that were our preschoolers are now running the uh, that tribe.
0: That would be super interesting.
1: And uh, we want to go back and photograph them. And we were back there a couple of years ago for a show uh, and, uh, in Flagstaff at the Museum of Northern Arizona. And a lot of them came up from the canyon, and so we. One of the things I'm sure we'll do very early in retirement is head back out to visit uh, some of our friends.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, um, I one of the things I just got an email about, by the way, was that uh, the School of v- Visual Communications has a new website. So it I think does. That, I think that maybe we should give that a plug. What's the well website? the
1: new website current. Uh, URL is viscomou.com, V-I-S-C-O-M-O-U dot com. And I say it's the current website because the university is about to stand it up also as uh, ohiou.edu slash viscom. Very good. But uh, that hasn't happened yet. So our new website is out in the dot-com world at the moment.
0: So if anybody out there is interested in learning a little bit more about Ohio University's School of Visual Communication, check it out. It'll talk to you about all the sequences. It'll give you an idea of some of the students. we will talk about
1: the undergraduate sequences, the four sequences, as well as our mid-career graduate program. And that's really been an exciting addition to the program. The average age of our graduate students is mid-30s. Uh, They've been working in the field. They come back in design, interactive multimedia, uh, audio-video storytelling, picture story. Uh, We've got uh, solid uh, scholarship support for the graduate students, including a Knight Fellowship in management. Uh, It's really an exciting time.
0: Well, that's great, Terry. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us.
1: Robert, my pleasure. Great to see you back on the uh, the couch here.
0: Yeah, nice the Terry Eiler couch. Well, um, and everyone, just make sure to check out thephotobrigade.com, and uh, we'll see you next time.